Please note, this series includes descriptions of violence that may be difficult to hear. At Blue Shield of California Foundation, we work to end domestic violence by addressing its root causes, racism, gender, and economic inequity. This special podcast series explores what we can do in California to heal from and prevent domestic violence. If you or someone you know is experiencing domestic violence, you can find support at thehotline.org or call 1-800-799-7233. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to Let's End Domestic Violence, Heal, Restore, Prevent. I'm journalist Bonnie Boswell. I'll be speaking with today's leading domestic violence prevention experts about how we can break the cycle and end domestic violence in California. Domestic violence and housing instability are so interconnected, we can't solve one without addressing the other. Today I'm joined by California State Senator Susan Rubio and Maricela Rijos-Faust, the CEO of Human Options. It's a nonprofit that provides support to survivors. Now we're gonna talk about this intersection and how addressing housing and homelessness can prevent domestic violence. Before we dive into this important conversation, I just wanna play a little audio of a woman named Lorinda Hawkins-Smith, who experienced homelessness herself as a result of domestic violence. Here's what she told us. There needs to be a more humane approach to the root causes of homelessness. A lot of women are fleeing domestic violence. I was one. So we need to attack that as well. We can't paint homelessness with one brush. You can't tell me people are choosing to be on the street. Yes, there are people who are choosing to be out on the street rather than to be in an abused house. That's a choice. They just want to be in a place where they are not being abused. Now, I think Lorinda's story is a good reminder of why we're here having this conversation today. Thank you so much, Maricela and Senator Rubio, for being here. This is a really important topic we're talking about. Domestic violence, housing insecurity, and the relationship between them. So I'd like both of you to share with me briefly, if you could, your personal nexus with this story. Why don't we start with you, Senator Rubio? Well, first of all, thank you for having me here. Um, yeah, it always takes personal experience to really push you into a, a subject matter that perhaps you're not an expert in. And, you know, I am a survivor of domestic violence. And so I know my personal experience and the challenges I faced. And I always wanted to figure out how do I help the next victim. And so when I became a state senator, I have been relentless as it pertains to passing laws to protect victims, not just of domestic violence, but family violence, children, and, and anyone that's experiencing a horrific circumstance at home. I'll turn it over to, to Maricela. Thank you, Senator Rubio. A pleasure to meet you. Um, for me, it's actually, uh, I think there's a number of examples that I could talk about that kind of put me on the path to do this work in the domestic violence field. Um, but I want to talk about a 13-year-old girl that I met who just was just like lit up a room when she walked in. And um, to sort of anybody, right, as a young professional, and I would look at her, I would never have thought that she was living in an abusive home. Um, and one day she came in and you could see something had changed in her look. She wasn't smiling. She 
almost sort of looked um, a bit vacant, if that makes sense. Right? There's like no light in her eyes like you would normally see. And, and in talking to her, I learned that her dad was extremely abusive to the mom and that she um, took it upon herself to be the person who intervened quite often between the fights that her mom and her dad had. And the night before she had done that and her dad had been so abusive um, that he had left substantial marks on her. And she was sort of still reeling from that. And I remember feeling as a young social worker that this was something that uh, not just I, but that we all needed to be working on and doing something in and finding the right support for that individual, that young girl, for her mom, um, and for everybody that really deals with the aftermath of an abusive relationship. Thank you so much. Well, what is the intersection between housing and domestic violence? Could you explain to people who maybe don't know that much about it what that intersection looks like? Let's start with you, Senator. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, and I want to thank Mar Maricela. Thank you for, for the work you do as a social worker. And I've gathered a lot of data throughout my five years now as a state senator. And, you know, what I found is the circumstance is so different for so many people. For example, I didn't have children, but uh, when I speak to victims of domestic violence that have children, or like the circumstance is so much different. I had a hard time uh, feeling like I could walk away. I could only imagine the stress of having your own child uh, potentially put in harm's way. And through the work that I do, I also have real life experiences of victims that walked away and their children were murdered because of it. And so we always say, at least I hear it often, which really bothers me, you know, why didn't she leave or why didn't he leave? And we try to have this perfect formula that works for everyone, but it just doesn't. I hear from a lot of victims that uh, some of them stay until their children are 18 before they actually could walk away or feel safe enough to walk away. One victim shared that personally that she waited until the kids were in college to be able to walk away. And so when we talk about housing insecurity, you talk about so many factors. So I know, again, through uh, stories and personal interviews, a lot of uh, victims are sort of trapped in this situation where sometimes they have to hand over their finances. They, they, they get their money and they have to turn it over. So when, when you don't have access to, to, to money, which is what you need to be able to, to get away and perhaps get your own place, that's a challenge. Then other victims shared, uh, one in particular, that her abuser ruined her credit, spent all her credit cards and just absolutely destroyed her credit. Um, so she wouldn't be able to walk away. And he would say it verbally. Uh, you're never, nobody's ever going to rent you an apartment or you're never going to be able to get away. So, so they start eating away at all the access you have to walk away, whether it's financial, mental, you know, stability. It just, there's so many factors, but I'll turn it over to, to Maricela and so she can share her, her experience and stories that she's heard. Thank you. Um, yeah, much like Senator Rubio has, has mentioned already, right, it's the economic, um, the, the, not just it's access to ec economic resources, it's access to your checking account. It's um, many abusers often run up credit. And so many of the victims or survivors have bad credit. So they have difficulty finding their own or actually getting their own location. What we find at Human Options as many of the individuals that are coming into the emergency shelter um, are really trying to stabilize. So maybe they have not been um, allowed the opportunity to work. Uh, maybe they have never been apart from their children and now they're struggling to be able to 
think about employment and then where are their kids going to be? Um, oftentimes, they, you know, like Senator Rubio mentioned, they're talking about my, my credit score is awful, right? Or, or I've got some kind of a history with renting because the abuse would occur in my in my own unit. And so I, I don't know that I can get access. Um, so and then also wanting to be in communities where they have the support from family members, those family members or friends that they have somehow through this relationship still manage to stay in contact with. So we actually have found as an organization that what really has benefited um, victims and survivors is to make sure that they know they don't have to make a choice between being safe and staying housed and really trying to offer those opportunities for them to understand, you know, leaving an abusive relationship does not have to mean you have to, you're going to end up on the streets, right? That we really want to work with you to bring together resources and make sure that you have access to those resources um, so that you can be safe and in stable housing. If I may add to that in particular, because I, I want uh, your um, listeners to, to know this, but um, domestic violence is the top three, on the top three leading causes of homelessness. And uh, 50 57% of women that are homeless have reported domestic violence being the cause why they're, they're, they're unhoused. Uh, for example, uh, many do have families. However, instead of going to a family member where they feel embarrassed and they feel ashamed, they choose to try to live in their cars, try to find housing. And it just, it's just a, snowfall, a snowball effect where they end up unhoused. And so I wanted to share that uh, it, there is a very specific connection to DV and, and those that end up homeless. Now, Senator, I want to talk a little bit about your bill, Senate Bill 914. What problem were you trying to address in this bill specifically, and how does the bill go to solving the problem? When we think of and we focus and work on uh, programs for housing and homelessness, we wanted specific populations to be included. So what the bill did, really, it said if the state or federal government gives you funding to, to tackle this issue, there has to be a component in which we look at this subgroup. And so that we wanted to make sure that the, the response is specific to domestic violence victims and that they are, were also included in the planning process. So we wanted a homeless plan that, that really focused on all subgroups, not just a specific. So hopefully this will encourage them to do it because there is a reporting component where they have to report back to the legislature what they're doing in that particular area. One of the things I noticed covering this story for years is that, for example, now compared to 20 years ago, at the downtown women's center in Los Angeles, rather than just providing food, shelter, and counseling, they've created a program where survivors are becoming entrepreneurs, creating their own pathway toward economic self-sufficiency. So now how do we build those kinds of models and provide funding so that more people experiencing homelessness as a result of domestic violence can become independent? We cannot just house. That's just not going to be enough. So we have to figure out that the next steps. And I know that traditionally our communities talk about uh, mental health services, right, or substance abuse, you know, services and all that. It's great. So my brain always goes what is the next step? So by way of example, I created a program in the San Gabriel Valley, which is a district that I represent. Um, I created a housing trust. And what that does, it, it helps communities, it helps cities uh, with funding uh, to ensure that they're able to build these communities to help those on house. So, so far we have three 
tiny villages where we have um, a village for single individuals. It could be at one man, one woman. We have another little village for families of three. Uh, it doesn't matter what the makeup is. Uh, we also created uh, a program called SGV Works, and that is an opportunity to, to leave those uh, little communities with a job. So, you know, I'm happy to report as of last month, I believe there's 47 families that we've transitioned into permanent housing with um, an opportunity for, for a job, which then leads to these other career opportunities that, that you discussed. So I think it's important that we provide the funding. And I think um, I was successful in securing it, but it's not the case across the state. And so my hope is that we give all these organizations, uh, you know, like the Downtown Women's Center, you know, that we just don't think of that the homeless piece or the, the housing piece, but how do we set them up for success and how do we make sure that they're able to be entrepreneurs and create their own wealth, right? And so it takes funding. So I hope to be able to to support these programs in a much broader way. So Maricela, tell me, what is your thinking? So a, a couple of things is um, Human Options has um, the sort of privilege of being part of a, a cohort that's statewide, which is uh, housing opportunities mean everything. And there are six domestic violence agencies that have been part of this cohort. And this cohort is really focused on um, having really uh, active conversations around the domestic violence housing first model and what that looks like and how it can really support many survivors. Through that program, we are able to offer rental assistance as well as flexible funding. And for a survivor, flexible funding is key to be able to um, address anything that would get in the way of be maintaining employment once you've gotten employment. That could be childcare, that could be your tires on the car um, need to be replaced. All of those pieces to have that is really a great asset and a great resource for many survivors who are just getting back into their own home. But we have found at Human Options as a result of the DB Housing First Model and flexible funding is that 94% of the survivors that we um, assist into getting into their own apartment post leaving the abusive relationship are able to maintain their housing post any support. So even after we can't provide the flexible funding and even after, so six months after when we cannot provide the same level of rental support, they've been able to navigate that because the first six months are critical for a survivor. But then also having resources beyond that, also because of the work through the cohort, is we were able to really talk about as a continuum of care. So every county has a continuum of care which addresses homelessness and our housing insecurity. And what we were able to do is really advocate for making sure that victims were part of the conversation. Everybody understood that domestic violence was a core thing we needed to talk about. Um, and in Orange County, we've actually been successful in applying for a domestic violence bonus project through HUD as a result of that. Um, and then recently, I think one of the things that is also going to be able to elevate um, the needs of survivors is that um, there is now a domestic violence subcommittee as part of the continuum of care in Orange County. Um, and that will really help people understand that survivors exist in many of many continuums. So we as an organization um, are able to serve them directly through wraparound services. And there are many that come in the doors through other housing programs and being able to connect them back to a service provider who understands domestic violence while they provide the housing elements and job security is critical to success. So how do we really go about expanding the opportunities for new housing, creating more affordable housing for people who are trying to take the next step? 
it is critical that we all work together and not in silos so that we are sharing those those resources. Um, I know that LA County is doing a lot of great things. You know, we just passed a bill recently that created La Casa, which is now trying to, you know, we're in the process, I think, of creating a board that's going to have a member from each uh, region. So then everyone's sort of working together across Los Angeles County. And so it's important because they're trying to secure funding. So I think when it everything when we talk about housing funding continues to be the biggest barrier and so this will provide a little bit of the funding we need that's going to funnel out to smaller cities to be able to provide the, the affordable housing uh, piece that you discussed we are so short in housing stock the cost of housing has increased tremendously so we have these uh, landlords that know that and you have one place and there's 10 people trying to get into this one apartment so then the rents keep going higher and higher it's almost it goes to the highest bidder if you will right Uh, of course it's not something that we would promote but unless we have enough housing stock that we can uh, at least have enough housing for everyone we're going to continue to run into these barriers so building enough housing to ensure that prices are able to to be lowered. That's really um, the focus of La Casa and a lot of the legislature, legislators in the region. We want to make sure that we build those homes so people are not fighting for one or two houses, but that these victims are able to sustain themselves and not end up homeless again because they cannot afford the rent. I want to talk more about prevention. I feel like messaging is really important. So let's talk to you, Senator, about prevention. Prevention really a lot of the time has to do with education. And I want to highlight a little bit of, you know, my personal story in terms of, you know, how we grow up. And I'm going to speak to the Latino community in particular. Um, You know, as we're growing up, it's very clear and often told very explicitly you know, you're not to get involved, uh, you know, in other people's business. Um, Everything that happens in the home needs to stay in the home. Again, my personal experience, you know, I remember my case in particular, um, a a cousin of mine was uh, being assaulted by her husband. And I remember my uncle, and this is myself as a little girl, I remember my uncle taking her back saying, you know, that is your husband, you know, you need to listen to him. The message was, don't come to us. You're part of his family. We we call it machismo, which we hear a lot. You know, when someone's telling you how to dress, oh, he's macho, so to speak. Or they tell you who your friends could be, something as simple as that. And, and I try to educate to understand that that really means, you know, macho to me, and I hope I don't disrespect anybody, that just means you're you're exerting course of control over someone. And so education is key. And I want to highlight some of the bills that I've passed. Um, so I passed a bill, which I'm very proud of, uh, SB 1141, uh, course of control, which now uh, allows victims of domestic violence to be able to use course of control as supporting evidence in court. Traditionally, people needed to see the bruises and the black eyes, or they wouldn't believe you. Now uh, they can document an abuser monitoring their finances, taking their finances, or uh, wanting to read their emails, their text messages, everything that takes your free will away, that is course of control. So that's something that I want victims to hear. The other thing is um, I I mandated that every uh, ID in the state of California from seventh grade to higher education have the domestic violence hotline in the back of the ID cards because even that little girl that you spoke of, Manisela, might not have had 
someone to turn to so they have the number right in their ID cards. Um, and, and also uh, another thing that I thought was very important was extending the statute of limitations for victims. In California, we had three years to come forward and, and seek justice. And everyone has different circumstances. You have to decide for yourself when is the right time to leave. When do you feel safe? And I have uh, a bill named uh, Peaky's Law. Uh, it's named after a little boy who was five years old that was murdered by his father when Anna Steves, the mother, walked away. And that's what we tell victims, right? Walk away. Why are you still there if you're getting assaulted? Well, she did what we asked victims to do. She walked away. And the result was that the abuser ended up hurting her little boy. He, he was murdered. Uh, a lot of the times our immigrant community stays because uh, the perpetrator uh, threatens to call INS or, you know, immigration. And so, again, it's understanding that it doesn't matter if you're undocumented. There are laws that protect you. There's people that are going to help you and, and not to be afraid to, to say something. My bill did extend the statute of limitations to we went from three to five. I had the bill uh, ex this year again. I was trying to extend it to 15 years because we know the average takes about eight to 10 years for, for, for women to finally walk away or men. And, and it wasn't successful this year. So so that just gives you a sense that it's not a an easy thing to, to champion. And so, again, education, getting the information out there is super important. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. I would, I would agree. Education is, is key and having the resources to educate. Sometimes we have the resources to do the direct services, but we don't have the resources that it would require and take to do the comprehensive education for our communities and to understand the barriers. Even when, when there is comprehensive education, there's sometimes barriers to accessing the, the resources that are out there. So really understanding that. Um, so having well-rounded resources from a prevention perspective all the way through housing um, the other thing that I think is important to note is that there's there's just still um, a tremendous amount of stigma around domestic violence, and there's a tremendous amount of stigma around homelessness um, or being unhoused. Obviously, there's a really big intersection, and removing the stigma and being able to talk about it like this and being able to really deeply understand it and remove stigma is going to be key when individuals who really need the support access help. Because again, two issues that impact a large portion of our population, um, and both with high stigma, um, we need to be the voice that's really removing that stigma and telling someone it's okay to reach out, um, and we are here for you as a community. The one thing that I always walk away saying to every single group I speak to is, get rid of that, those words. Why did he didn't he leave or why didn't she leave? That is the worst thing you can say to a victim because you're not only not validating what they experience, but you're shaming them again almost blaming them for not speaking up. And that is unacceptable. Uh, as uh, Maricela said, we have to be supportive and not judge or question, but offer support. How may I help you? Because the more we shame people, the more that they're going to stay in silence. So we need to change that. I really appreciate both of you for taking the time today to have this important conversation. Thank you so much. To find out more about this episode and what actions you can take to help prevent domestic violence and listen to the other episodes in this series, visit letsindv.org.